Avi on Money, 12 to 1 p.m., only on 101.9 Chai FM. Welcome to 101.9 Chai FM. It's 29 minutes, nearly half past 12. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, before we get into our, our discussion with our next guest, which is something very, very interesting, and it's really got to do with the whole spirit of giving, the whole spirit of, of uplifting, which is really what Pesach, in a way, is all about. It's about those, inviting those in who don't have. Um, I see, you know, we always see that the Chavikadish is constantly asking for support, you know, for them to continue to help those who are less fortunate than ourselves. So I'd just like to take this opportunity, first of all, wish everybody a chakash for Pesach that is coming up at the end of this week and also to encourage those who can to please give generous, uh, generously to the different institutions in our, in our city I'm sure you have within your own community and within the broader community every penny I'm sure goes to help those who need and let's all try and ensure that everybody has a a relaxed and spiritually uplifting Pesach, and that can only really be done when their mind is free from the concern of how they're going to put matzah and wine and food on the table. So, uh, you know, just to encourage all of those who who do have the ability to give generously and those who continue to give, just thank you for making the ball go around, the wheel turn, because it's your your donations that really give the, the, the edge to those who don't have so that they can enjoy Pesach with us. And on that note and on the similar theme, um, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Bridget Evans, who's this African, or SAB, which is um, the South African Breweries Foundation Director. Welcome to Chai FM. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Great. Um, Bridget, sorry about that intro. Um, it was a pre-recording because our guests decided not to pitch today. And uh, they, they, before I could even get on air, they put a pre-recording in. So sorry about that that cut in the middle there. But Bridget, let's get straight into it. We, our, our time is limited. So first of all, thank you for your time. But what does the foundation do? Who are you guys and what are you all about? So SAB Foundation was set up by um, SAB, obviously, and it's uh, it's an ownership transaction of SAB, so it is endowed with um, eight and a half million shares, and we we spend the the annual dividends of those shares on um, on on a few different things. Well, actually, no, on one thing, which is entrepreneurship, but we do that in different ways. We try and reach very rural communities through specific, very grassroots type of interventions, mostly agriculture, but also uh, rural distribution. Um, we, we have a program called the Tawana Program, which, um, which invests in entrepreneurs, any type of entrepreneur across the country, um, and we give them two years of business support, and we also give them some seed funding. And then our last program, which it has just opened for applications, is the Social Innovation Awards. And really the Social Innovation Awards looks for um, businesses that can solve social problems or business models that can solve social problems. So we're looking for them at the very early stages. But essentially the foundation is set up to try and develop entrepreneurs across South African society. Bridget, let, if you don't mind, let's just go one step back because I think as important as the foundation is and the entrepreneurial um, innovation awards, etc., you mentioned almost as a throwaway comment the structure 
of the foundation, the fact that the shares and that there's dividends, maybe take us through that. I'll tell you what I'm intrigued about is often these organizations are set up and they are set up at great cost. They are very top heavy to run. And um, the, the concern is always how many cents in the rand actually go to keeping the wheels turning of the foundation and how much actually go to doing the work. But you guys seem to have come up with a very innovative business model. Well, thank you. Um, we are very lean. Um, sometimes I think we're a bit too lean, in fact. Um, so our operating expenditure is below 10%. Um, and our annual budget is around $80 million. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's about $80 million a year. And that is a combination of dividends, interest, um, and, yeah, dividends and interest. And, um, yeah, we, we, we have a very small team of four people, five people, and we do outsource some of the program management to a service provider. But um, yeah, but but we are actually very small, and we do try and make sure that as much of every rand goes to to entrepreneurs as possible. The way these foundations are set up, um, they have they have a legal requirement to keep their operating expenditure below fifteen percent. Um, and ours is currently sitting at around nine percent. So we we could afford to actually grow our team a little bit, and probably we will grow by one or two people this year. But it's very important to us that that um, we make sure that we are very accountable when it comes to making sure that money goes directly to beneficiaries. It's that old economic adage of marginal utilities that you need to make sure that for every expense that you add, you're getting. A, um, a factor of production out of it. Otherwise, it's just another expense. Yeah, very right. Great. Bridget, just a, a, a personal thing. I was just reading through your, um, through your CV. What on earth sent you to business school in India? <laughs> well, I, I, did, I did part of my MBA at UCT, and right. then we had the opportunity to go and do an exchange program somewhere. So I... I just felt that, you know, I'm very interested in the developing world context and I was very interested to learn more about India and their context from a socioeconomic development point of view. And so that's why I ended up going to the Indian School of Business because I thought, you know, just by attending some of the courses that they run there, I'll get a better understanding of Indian culture and, um, you know, and Indian society. So that's why I did it there. Do we have what to learn from India? Um, I think we we do. Um, well, I mean, I think India obviously has such a high volume of people that, um, you know, their strategies will be different to ours. Like, for example, when I said earlier that we run this rural distribution um, program, we actually went to India to learn from their example. And essentially what it is is that you know, people, a lot of these social innovation, um, there's a lot of innovative products that have come out and they're specifically meant to improve quality of life or um, increase economic activity of people in very rural areas. For example, like your, your solar lights, your clean burning stoves so that, um, you know, houses don't get full of smoke when people cook indoors, right. water carriers that are better than carrying 20-liter containers on your head, which, which a lot of women have to do when they go and fetch water. 
Um, there's a whole range of products that really are designed to improve their quality of life. But trying to get those products to rural areas is incredibly challenging because there isn't a distribution network. And if you go and take a product like that and put it on a shelf somewhere, people are never going to buy it because they don't understand the value to them. And because they've got such limited disposable income, they are obviously very cautious about what they spend their money on. So you need distribution and education. Now, in India, the Indian model, you know, their rural village is half a million people, whereas our rural village is 50,000 people. Right. So, you know, in terms of distribution and trying to find a business model that's actually going to um, be sustainable, it's very, the context is very different um, and not so easy, you know, to find, um, to find models that are going to be financially viable. But it's, I suppose it's always important to to see what other people are doing, learn from them, you know, take take a fed out of their cap, so to speak, but not necessarily cut and paste the model. But let's come back here to South Africa. So you've set up the foundation. We are, have now got these awards. Let's put that in context. We we talk about rural and urban in South Africa. It's a very hot potato at the moment, especially with what's going on politically. So let's define what the foundation regards as rural. Well, I think we've got kind of three, but you, you're absolutely right. When we try to find, um, sorry, no when problem. we try to find um, uh, uh, definitions, we found that different government departments have different definitions. So it was very difficult to actually come up with something that everybody agreed. But we've just basically, um, we've got we've got urban, which is, you know, your, your cities and, um, and bigger towns, then peri-urban, which is the outlying areas around those cities and towns, and then rural is sort of um, 50 kilometers from a town. Okay. So, for example, um, you know, just to put in context in here in Joburg, Alexandra wouldn't be rural, Ferenichung wouldn't be rural because there are developed centers. It would have to be something a little bit further out. Yes. Okay. However, we, we do we do find that um, that a lot of entrepreneurial development that happens in South Africa is very focused on Harting and the Western Cape. Um, so we we do prioritise um, areas that are not in those two provinces. Even though we do in, we do invest in those provinces, but we actually very proactively go and look for candidates outside of those areas. Bridget, let, let's let's grab the bull by the horn, so to speak. Um, what what projects or what um, um, entrepreneurial um, pr- projects have you have you seen in the last short while that you can look at and say that's something that we want to get involved with? Because one thing that you're looking for is you're looking for something that's um, definable, something that's sustainable, something that's going to add value. Um, but yet, at the same time, we've also defined those areas as difficult to access, short of funding, short of capital. So what have we seen that has said to you and to your 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 colleagues in the foundation, that's a project we want to get involved in? Are you talking specifically around the Social Innovation Award? Correct. Yeah. Um, so we, you're right, it's very difficult because, you know, making a profit is hard enough, and now we've put the added um, expectation that they must also solve social problems. So it, it, it is tricky to find 
um, those models we find are much harder to to become sustainable. However, we we look for um, we look for business models that we think that we think can work. We go in at the very early stages, so we set the high risk. But we really um, so so I can give you some examples from Please. last year. Um, we had something. We had something called the Auto Turtle, which um, which is a a mobile sort of in a container, and it's a big solar powered container that allows people to run businesses inside the container in very rural areas. So, for example, the one I visited was in near Coffee Bay in the, in the Transvaal, the Eastern Cape, and. Um, it was used for basically they have these containers which charge electricity, and they they and then people can take those and use them in their houses. So those containers they bring to the kiosk, they pay a fee to mm-hmm. charge them, and then they take them back to their communities. They also come and charge their phones there. Then there's also a um, a, a printer there, which there are no printers anywhere near that rural area. So it's such a valuable service. And so for everything, there's a fee, and that's how that kiosk sustains itself. So it's basically um, so a, it's a mobile solar power station. Yeah, basically. It's a mobile solar power station, which has, which has your yeah, facilities for printing and, and facilities for... They've got, they sell these batteries, um, which are connected to solar lights and um, to small little power stations I mean, to small power in people's households, but they come and charge them there. Bridget, the, the, uh, you know, the, 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 the reason I'm asking and the thing that's concerning me about this is that these awards are phenomenal because what they do is they get people to to think out of the box. They get people to to stretch the possibilities and they also bring valuable services to the people in the area. But in your experience, do they actually uplift the standard of living, the quality of life of the people living in the rural areas, or have you just lessened the burden of living in an area like that? Yes, I mean, you know, that solar turtle, for example, um, I mean, first of all, you're cutting out the the expense for a rural household of having to buy candles or paraffin um, to, to have light. Then you also obviously young um, kids who really struggle to be able to study in those households now have better lighting to work with at night. So sometimes it's these small incremental things that actually do add up to making a big difference. Um, there's another one called eyedrop water, which is a um, and in the South African context, but especially in the African context, this one is is quite. Um, you know, amazing because it it is it's like a vending machine for water. So the water goes through um, a very high um, intensity filtration system. Water right. that comes from either taps or from the ground or from rivers goes through this filtration system, and then people they 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 pay a deposit to buy a container, and then they bring that container back and reuse it. By um, and and basically vend the water into those containers. So you cut the cost of buying two liters of water from whatever it is in South Africa, twenty three or twenty four rand a liter to one rand a liter. Um, sorry, twenty four rand to two liters. 
to like one rand um, or two rand for 24 liters to 20 liters. <laughs> and um, and you know the the amount of um, uh, waterborne diseases that people pick up from water across Africa is quite astounding. And uh, so something like this is a real solution for a poor household and could have a huge difference on things like health in those areas. You know, at the end of the day, all these things really add a huge amount of value to the people living in rural areas. And uh, it's, it's foundations like yourselves that, number one, make the money available. Number two, plant the seed of hope and aspiration because there's now something to reason to get involved, whereas before there wasn't, you know, one went elsewhere to look to make a living, whereas now someone could stay there and, and generate income. Um, from what I see is that the online application opens on the 15th of March, 2018, and it closes on the 23rd of April. Is that correct? That's right. Great. And the website is sabfoundation.co.za. Is there, if, they, if they go on there, will all the forms be there, all the applications? Yes, they can go on there, and there's a button on the home screen that um, they can just click on and apply. Fantastic. Bridget, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for hosting me. Pleasure. That was Bridget Evans, who's director of the SAB Foundation. If you want some more information, please go to SAB Foundation website, which is sabfoundation.co.za, and uh, see what they're all about. If you're an entrepreneur and if if you have a project, particularly in rural areas that you feel can add a lot of value, this is the place to go. One thing that I just want to mention, which is maybe an incredible carrot to dangle in front of you, is that there is a cash prize of up to 1.3 million rand. Besides the seed capital, besides the, the assistance that they give you in every other way, there's a lot of money that can be made over here if your submission is accepted and if you go on to then win. So if you've got an idea that you've been kicking around or if you've been toying with something that you just don't have the capex to get up and running and you feel it can add value to people in rural, rural areas, this is the place to go. So the information again is the sabfoundation.co.za and the director of that foundation is a lady, Bridget Evans. So uh, once again, I just want to thank everybody for listening. Just to also let you know that... To help you with Pesach preparations, Pick and Pay Hyper Norwood is making Thursdays, Tuesdays, usually, uh, usually open for extended um, hours every Thursday. Pick and Pay Hyper Norwood are now extending their hours. Their special, their Pesach value vibe, all coming to you on Tuesday. Now you can shop till 10 p.m. this Thursday night. Pick, pick at, at Pick and Pay Hyper Norwood. Remember, it's also Trolley Dash, so be sure to be there. And you could be claiming thousands of rands in Pesach shopping. And also just to let you know that your mom and dad's, your Pesach uncles, your Boots condos, and your Bobber's yachts, wherever you spend Pesach, make sure you get the install. With award-winning design, ride quality, leading safety, and five-year unlimited kilometer warranty, there's no surprise that Kia is making is the number one ranked brand for two years now. Happiness, peace, and good health. Happy Pesach to you and your families, and that's all from Kia. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Wishing you all a great Yontif, and we'll speak to you next week.